Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A graphic novel, a TV show, well it's not TV, it's HBO, and will this thing succeed, and by how much, man? And some might cheer, and some might scoff, because it's Damon Lindelof, but either way we're off to watch some Watchmen. Watching Watchmen Talking Watchmen Analyzing Watchmen And maybe arguing over Watchmen Welcome to Watchmen Watch, a podcast about HBO's Watchmen Where we watch Watchmen, talk about Watchmen And watch you watching the Watchmen I'm Alex I'm Justin I'm Pete and and we are going to be talking about the second issue of the Watchmen comic book series as we wrap up to the HBO series here. Very exciting. It's coming out October 20th. We know that now. We it has know that been now. known. We're very excited. Uh, but to bone up, we're reading through the book. So issue two, this is not called Almost Friends, as no. I wanted to call it. And it's, it's not called Friends, the pilot of the TV show Friends. Right. Uh, because Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons were on a break. Uh, that's true. Uh, we should mention Alan Moore. Um, it can't be here today. Right. Uh, he, our fourth host for this podcast. Um, and he texted me. Um, he, I accidentally told him we were meeting um, at a campsite um, outside of Stonehenge. Um, I got we got a mix up. So oh, okay. how can you He's accidentally there. mix up this address with that address? It's just, just a classic mix up. Yeah, um, auto text, right? Yeah, I, I, I meant to that. write the pit loft where we tape our show. Instead, I wrote a campsite just outside of Stonehenge. <laughs> uh, so oh, he's Siri. there. It's my bad because he was definitely showing up this week. But um, I texted him back. He's totally fine with the mix oh, up. Oh, he's going to well, be back of, next week. He'll be back next. It week. It kind of oh, works out because it's. The title this is Absent Friend, and he's oh. our absent friend. That's oh, true. That's he very said sweet. the same Absent thing. friend, not yeah. almost friends, because me and Alan Moore almost hooked up that one time. That's true. 
Really? And yeah. he's not weird about it. And that's was not, that, that's not I, the real reason why he's not showing up. Was that that at that San Diego Comic Con when you were wasted and you almost took up with him? Careful, yeah. don't start. No, I don't want to. I don't want to talk about it. I don't okay. want to kiss and tell. Don't right. start talking about San Diego Comic Cons and being wasted, Pete. Yeah. What? You know what you I did. wasn't the one who told Jim Lee he was the king of San Diego. Uh, no, that's true. Um, so. You tried to uh, smoke a joint with... Uh, <laughs> I didn't try. Very far off field. Yeah, I didn't try. Let's nothing. talk about Watchmen, you guys. <laughs> so uh, chapter two of the book, issue number two, Absent Friends... Definitely yes. going to remember that by the end of the episode. Uh, so to get you guys caught up, there has been a murder of Eddie Blake. Rorschach is investigating it. And that's pretty much kind of where we pick up this issue. Uh, but I, I got to say, as we're going back through this, I know I said this the last time as well. Good comic. Man. This is a good comic. comic. Great also, comic. It was nice to see a blue man group put on a suit for the funeral. I thought that was very classy of him. That is rude to Dr. Manhattan. Uh, I do want to seriously say, though, uh, I know we mentioned this last episode. It continues to be surprising to me, and it shouldn't be, how good Watchmen is. A hundred percent agree. It's crazy how good this is. How much um, Alan Moore is mixing up here. Take Because this... It's important to remember when you're rereading this or reading it for the first time, this shit had never been done before. Yeah. Like the idea of mixing up a comic this dark and this just like uh, where the characters have like sort of nothing going for them or like they're all failing super hard. Um, to see that and see all the references to comic book history, um, topical politics uh, when he, that he was writing this, um, and just like science, uh, science fiction, everything, world events. It's just, it's amazing. Well, and to give it even more context, the comic book industry was going through this massive change at this point when this was being published. Who knows necessarily when it was written, but uh, 1985, you had Crisis on Infinite Earths that condensed the entire DC universe, had huge events, killed off the Flash, killed off Supergirl. So those were traumatic in their own ways for superhero fans. And then on the other side of the fence in Marvel, you had Secret Wars, which was this big marketing grab that changed uh, characters in a very different way and brought all of these superheroes together. And then this, and this almost gets lumped, always gets lumped in with the Dark Knight, which was that 84, I want to say? Yeah. Something like that. So this was in 86. So they get lumped together as there are these other takes while DC was going darker and darker and Marvel was going light but more complicated in a very different way. This going big, I going guess you could big say. in a very different way. Uh, this was huge. This was promoted very heavily, but this almost eschews superheroics. That's one of the things that was really struck I with this issue is you got the murder mystery thing going on, but whenever there's a fight, it's they like cut away from it. Yeah, you know, like that's wow. not the point of what's going on. I got the point is the characters. But now, thank you for explaining it when you said shoes, super heroics. Issue, oh. issue, I which is different shoes. than issue. Yeah. I thought you meant like it shoes it, like yeah. shoe, get away, heroics. I'll oh, tell you what, you should listen to our spelling podcast, which is very different. We well, read yeah. through. You, know, you joke about me slurring words, but, you know. E-S-C-H-E-W-S. Yes, issues. Not cashews, which is another thing he says a lot. I'm just saying. I Glass house, motherfucker. The interesting thing about this, though, is the comedian issues shoes and cashews for this issue. That's true. Wow. Uh, I, would, I would also like to point out, like, not only this, like, we, we got into this a little bit and talking about the last issue, but, like, the panels 
are amazingly put together, but the transitions, like we have, instead of just showing a flashback, it's the light off a picture picture frame that reminds her of flash photography that brings her to this flashback. Like, just really smart uh, now, things. So the structure of this issue, to get on into it a little bit, is Eddie Blake's funeral. We get yeah. to see flashbacks from everybody, whether they're there or not, to the past. We find out more about, a lot more, about the event that was hinted at the last issue, which was Eddie Blake's assault of, uh, not Laurie Jupiter, Sally Jupiter? Mm-hmm. Uh, the first Silk Spectre. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we find out a lot more about that, as well as other aspects of all of the characters' lives and their relationships to Eddie Blake. We find out more about him as the comedian. But the interesting thing about this issue, uh, I think structurally, to your point, Justin, the first issue trucks very heavily in very specific juxtaposition, where you get the text and the images are not fighting against each other, but complementing each other in a different way. You get that here, but it's much more about the actions, where you see Dr. Manhattan at the funeral, but he's also potentially in another time at the same time, flashing back to his relationship with Eddie. So it's much more about a temporal juxtaposition than a spatial juxtaposition like it is in the first issue. Yeah, and the first issue moves so quickly through a lot of sort of superhero tropes, or it just takes them as accepted that they're they were a super team and that there was a, a the past was a lighter more fun period just like the way comic history went so the juxtaposition now of actually seeing that backstory and the temporal shifts that all the characters go through i think is it really sets up what's coming forward and gives context to what we've read in the last issue and the other thing that's interesting with the whole super team of it all is we get to be two quote-unquote, super teams in this issue. The first one is the Minutemen, which is uh, like an analog of the Justice Society of America, but without superpowers. Uh, They're all masked vigilantes. It seems a little bit more like a social club that's really only how we get to see them together. We never get to see them fight crime together. And the second one is the Crime Busters, which, as far as we can tell, meets once. Yeah. And that's it. Like, nothing else happens with them. So, again, it's more in Gibbons and Company really issuing the superhero-ness, the structure of it, where you expect, okay, there's a team get-together, and then some big event breaks them apart. But in this case, it's just like, it's just not the right time. Yeah. And they're not the right people, and it doesn't make sense. That's what's also so good about this, is super being a superhero never makes sense for any of these characters in this comic. And it's great. They're either way off, they're like... But not good people, or they're just way beyond it. Like so, this is we talked about this a little bit in the first two episodes of the podcast with Rorschach, and I think this very heavily comes up here in terms of how people misinterpret Watchmen. Yeah, that being a superhero is bad. Like it is a it is clearly a bad thing to do. It's not a good lifestyle choice. There's nothing to hope for, and in fact, there's a pretty good argument to be made, particularly after this issue, that the rise of superheroes leads to a worse world than we are currently in. Like, they do not make it better the way that they do in the DC Comics universe or the Marvel Comics universe. Uh, Their addition only, it cuts down on crime, maybe, but it makes things ultimately worse. Yeah. Should we walk through the issue a little bit? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, actually, before we do, though, there was one thing, that an overall thing that I wanted to talk about, uh, which is the comedian. We, yeah. He's the focus of this issue. His character is the focus of this issue. Uh, he's not that funny, it seems. No, that's he's a, a dick. That, that's surprising with yeah. his name. Yeah. The no. way it is. Yeah. <laughs> what a weird accident. Yeah. Huh. You want to stop and explore that some more? He should have been the tragedian. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, this gets back to the juxtaposition as well, right? Like, the comedian, do you think, he certainly makes this argument, but do you think the comedian is the one who actually sees the world the way it is? Is he actually seeing some joke there, or is it the juxtaposition of, well, he is the comedian, but he's not funny at all? I think, it, yeah, it's the juxtaposition. Like, in the original um, uh, Minutemen, he's the goofiest, yet he's the one who assaults uh, Sally Jupiter in this issue. He's wearing, like, a clown, a like old-timey uh, clown, Italian clown uniform. Then later in Crime Busters, he's just being a regular dick, and he's sort of, like, dressed like a 90s superhero. He ac- actually dresses like NFL Super Pro. Yeah, bit, he does a little Which bit. is uh, a funny <laughs> connection. I doubt that was purposeful. And then you see him doing more horrible things. He shoots um, a woman who is uh, ca- carrying his baby in Vietnam, uh, and we get to see that happen, and then the comedian moving forward. I think he's meant to be a reflection of the time, the different time periods. Um, back in like the 50s, 60s, like everything's bright and sunny, but they're all the horrifying things are happening behind closed doors. And then in Vietnam, it's like Americans are being horrible overseas. Uh, so it is that sort of satirical take and juxtaposing this thing called the comedian, the bright veneer we paint over everything, over these horrifying actions. He, he's definitely our representation of America. I think that's very clear. It's possible he might also be Alan Moore commenting on comedy in comic books, because Alan Moore, maybe not so much at this time, but famously hates comic books. Uh, We know that when we hang out with him off of this podcast. Yeah, let me text him that question and see what he says. Yeah, well, maybe he can bring it up on the next episode. Yeah. Uh, But uh, comic book superheroes aren't actually usually very funny, and so it's possible he might be amping that up, because he is one of the only ones that actually acts like a comic book superhero, it might be that he's hitting this very old-timey kind of humor, which is like, hey, toots, why don't you take off your dress? And then everybody's like, ha, 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 ha. But it's not actually funny in in a particular way. It's saying the horrifying thing or saying the thing that uh, this person actually wants to happen. Exactly. So that all said, I I was curious because I think that's an overall character thing that we delve into pretty deeply in this issue. But yeah, let's walk through it. Uh, so the first uh, the first couple scenes we have here are uh, Sally uh, or Laurie uh, talking to her mom. They don't get along very well, um, and sh- uh, Sally sort of like wishes she was young again, basically, and is sort of uh, bitter about the world, saying she'd rather go back to the life she had back then, even though it's horrible. Uh, they set up the assault from that uh, that the comedian uh, the, the sexual assault from the comedian. Well, uh, this also ties into something that we find out later, which is uh, not Lori, Sally. Sally, I keep mixing them up. Uh, Sally does not like herself very much. Yeah, she. They pull out that Tijuana Bible or yeah. whatever it is mm-hmm. that has her uh, in a cartoon form. Somebody's having sex with her. Uh, Lori hates it. Sally kind of likes it and is flattered by it. And it's, again, a very, not to keep using the word juxtaposition, but it's a very interesting juxtaposition of like, as terrible as things were for her, she has this sadness and vanity about the olden times. And again, if you get into the comic book of it all, because really, if nothing else, Watchmen is a comic book that is commenting on comic books, you can look at that as that that nostalgia for the quote-unquote golden age of comic books. That like, ah, bad things happen, but overall, wasn't it so wonderful and everything was so beautiful? Yeah. Wasn't that great? And that someone who would dress up in a costume... Like, none of these people have powers. They're just regular people. And be like, I'm going to go do this is goofy and vain. Right. So 
now, to I, take I, that for real, I thought, is is interesting. And we find out more about that, I believe, in the Under the Hood section at the end where he talks about, uh, she, uh, Hollis Mason talks about, she was the first one to be like, hey, I'll have a PR agent. Yeah. What do you think about that? Uh, and she did it for the PR more than anything, more than the crime fighting. Yeah. Uh, so that's sad. It's a sad character. Uh, indeed. And so we flash from that, as Pete said, from the uh, picture frame um, in the reflection to a flashbulb where we get to see um, Sally and the rest of the Minutemen. Their costumes are all like sort of goofy. I mean, very much like the actual com- Golden Age comics where like it's ridiculous. Dave Gibbons does such a good job of showing them as goofy people. And then you see this horrifying sexual assault scene where they're in their all in their costumes. Yeah, and they're but they're talking like regular people doing bad, doing horrifying. Now, things. there's an interesting thing uh, that happened in the first issue as well. I mean, it's a pretty typical like camera angle thing, which is again one of the things that I, I don't think was unique necessarily to this comic book, but that David Givens did so well is using filmic framing angles yeah. for things. And there's a shot, I believe, of uh, the comedian on the floor between hooded justice's legs which is very similar to a shot of the comedian from the first issue uh, where it's showing that hooded justice is dominant over him. Even if the comedian pushes himself as this uber male, he's really not. And the other thing that happens, I believe, I don't remember which panel it is, but one of the panels in there, there's a splash of blood on the comedian that he's wiping off that is the same as the splash of blood that's on the button from the first issue. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, right. Showing there. that uh, he, when he dies, he's still marred by all these horrifying things he's done. He's right. not a hero at all, and he goes out as not a hero. Yeah, it's, uh, again, I know we keep coming back to, hey, great comic, big surprise, but it's also the layers of preparation that they clearly did to put this together. This is very different from a modern comic book where it doesn't get the chance to plan in advance, right? Like, you got to yeah. meet that monthly schedule. So at most, they have three to four issues ready before they go. Here, I don't know this for a fact, but I have to assume they had everything planned out before they were ready to go. I it's don't know so how- meticulous. Yeah. Every frame, every panel means something. The last panel of this scene, uh, you see... Uh, Hood of Justice, who stops the assault, is still such a jerk to Sally. He doesn't... Uh, he doesn't help her really. He says, "Get up and for God's sakes, cover yourself." Like he's the hero of that scene, and he's still a monster. Like she right. is surrounded by monsters, and then it cuts right back to this Tijuana Bible thing, and it just shows that yes, she's unhappy, but she's had she's dealt with all these horrifying things all the time. Right. Well, let's talk about Hooded Justice for a second. He's such a fascinating character who isn't dealt with, as far as I remember, a ton in the comic book series, but no. he's the first hero that comes out he's the one that sparks all of it but he's also the only one that really fully hides his face yeah Uh, you never see it right and part of that if i remember correctly he's gay right like i think yeah i think that's what because that's the joke the comedian makes that's the joke the comedian makes when he's uh uh, being beaten up by him he's like you're liking this aren't you and that makes right so stop that makes him stop, and that's why he takes that pain and that shame of being homosexual and throws it right back on her. And again, this is painting the times that they live in, the fact that it isn't necessarily accepted at all. He's scared of it coming out and people finding him out, and so he takes it out on Sally. Yeah. 
but yeah, then we get this uh, memory from Adrian Veidt. Now, uh, this was another interesting thing that um, I was reading some notes on this, and I didn't necessarily ever pick up on this before, but uh, Ozymandias' costume is the same colors, I believe, as uh, the comedian's original costume. So oh. if anything, there's something there in terms of him picking up from where the comedian left off. Purple and yellow being the, the villain. Right. And it's almost a reverse. Like, yeah. looking at this panel right now, we're looking at the big panel of the first meeting of the Crime Busters, and Ozymandias has this purple swoop versus the part that was left over... The uh, the part that is yellow on his neck is the part that was purple on the comedian. So, yeah. in a way, he's almost the opposite of the comedian. Right. That's cool. And they're uh, f- not facing each other. It's so the, uh, this we get the the Captain Metropolis who's forming the Crime Busters. He's still in the Golden Age, dressed like a goof. And then it's this random mix of people. Ozymandias. We talked about his costume, but he's also dressed like a god, uh, as opposed to everyone else who's sort of in various stages of superhero dress. Um, and the fact that he ends up sort of coming out of here squeaky clean based on his confidence, uh, basically, is interesting, I think. Uh, and the other thing that's fascinating about the scene, particularly when you're going through the book a second time, which wouldn't have been ultimately clear the first time through, is this is Adrian Veidt's memory of this meeting of the Crime Busters, where uh, Captain Metropolis is proposing this plan. He says, look, look at all these things going on in the world. It's fascinating that he mentions, I think it's promiscuity and other things like that. Uh, but then... Uh, the comedian is like, this sucks. This is a stupid plan. You're never going to do this. You just got to burn it all down uh, and figure out what to do next. And Adrian Veidt is looking at the map, and through the lens of this just being the second issue and us thinking Ozymandias is a hero and the smartest man alive, you would think he's lamenting it. You know, He's going, oh, no, we can save the world. We can figure out another way to do this. This is so sad. But in actuality, the comedian is giving Adrian his plan. Yeah. And okay. you see it right in this, this the second to last panel of the scene uh, where Ozymandias is looking at the, the burn page. Well, yep. And with the words, somebody has to save the world, it's all right there. Yes. Uh, and that's something that I think is very undervalued about this series in particular is what a good mystery it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very well constructed as a mystery, not just as a superhero series, not just uh, in terms of the characters and the commentary on it, uh, but the fact that it is a very good mystery that you really cannot figure out until the end, but all the clues are there the entire time. Yeah, and that's why on a second and third read, you really get to see so much more uh, as it's going. Uh, we get this next scene with uh, Dr. Manhattan's memory of his time in Vietnam with the comedian, uh, there's just, it's just horrifying. The comedian's like being reckless. He shoots this woman after, uh, she cuts his face, revealing that she's pregnant. Um, and Doc Manhattan doesn't stop him, even yeah. though he definitely could. The, the other thing, uh, one thing that I'll mention that's also great about these memories, these stories that we get throughout is we are learning more about Eddie Blake yeah. as we go plot-wise, but really we're learning about the characters who are remembering the stories. And the big thing with Dr. Manhattan here 
is he doesn't stop Eddie Blake from shooting a pregnant woman. He's also standing in the middle of a table at the time and doesn't notice it. Yeah. So what we find out about Dr. Manhattan is even at this early point in his career, he's already retreated from humanity. He can't relate to human beings. Yeah, he doesn't feel he's almost uh, sociopathic in his understanding of the situation. He's just like a scientist viewing it from afar without any empathy for the situation. Um, yeah, and it's yeah, and that kind of really shows in the way he's like standing in the table, and it's the same stance as like he's looking. He's in both places. He's looking over a dead. He's looking over a dead body. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then we get the owl ship flashback, right? Yep. Now this is where we get to see the new mask that the comedian is wearing. It's a full face mask. It looks like a gimp mask, uh, which he likes to torture people. So I think that's at least part of the inspiration that's going on there. Um, but to set it in time, I believe this is uh, when the Vietnam War either kicked off or they dropped the bomb or something like that. It's, it's one of those moments. It's not particularly clear in the book. Uh, but we get to see uh, them going to the streets, trying to act like superheroes. And I believe this is what ultimately leads to the Keen Act, which is the act that they pass where they shut down vigilantes except for government-sponsored ones, clearly leading into the Iron Man, Captain America Civil War that happens later in the series. hundred percent, yeah. yeah. That's, I think, issue nine. <laughs> uh, it's weird that they brought them in at that point, but it worked really well. Uh, this is where we fully get a look at the phrase, who watches the Watchmen being painted on the wall, which has yeah. been sort of alluded. But still not completely. Not completed. It's uh, still blocked. But it's the first time it's featured. Um, right. So really starting to get, I think that's sort of like the completion of the first act almost or like sure. the, the table is set for the rest of the story um, this is sort of just a dark everything sucks with these characters uh, Owl Man's just like don't do that and night uh, night night or sorry Night Owl I keep you saying keep that wrong Owl I, Man yeah I don't know why hmm. uh, there is a character called Owl Man it's true yeah uh, Night Owl I just never have liked as a name really yeah why not because it it doesn't it's like a phrase as opposed to a name yeah. Uh, well, that's where it comes from. Hollis Mason talks about that in Under the Hood. He says that he was looking for a name. He wasn't sure what to do. And he would never go out to a drink with this friend of his, not friend of his, coworker of his. Uh, instead, he wanted to go work out because he was trying to figure out how to be a superhero. And he was like, oh, you're always such a night owl. And he's like, yeah, night owl. Yeah. That's me. Again, stupid. <laughs> not a great origin story. The existence of Night Owl implies the existence of a Day Owl. That's true. Ooh, Ooh find no the Day Owl. <laughs> uh, we get a moment where um, where the new Night Owl uh, it picks up the comedian, has comedian's pin and throw a clean one, no blood on it, and throws it out of the grave. Uh, I feel like, like, what is this? What is this supposed to mean? Why is he the one that throws the pin? Dan? Uh, yeah. Um... I don't know. It is parallel. The way the button falls down is very similar to the way the button falls down in the first issue. So it's some sort of parallel on him dying again, right? Or putting the final nail on the coffin or something like that. Yeah. Maybe setting him up as more of the hero here or like uh, keying him as like the main character. Not sure. I mean, there's also some stuff in here with him uh, approaching Dr. Manhattan when... Already, Dan, ha- whether Dr. Manhattan knows it or not, has become his romantic rival yes. for Laurie's affection. Nobody knows it really here. Right. But it maybe. But it's pretty clear when you're reading it that it's setting them up. There's yeah. that shot of them having the handshake where it's like, oh, here we go. Yeah. 
Doc Manhattan's just looking around. Who's going to try to fuck my wife? That's what he's thinking. <laughs> Which one of you fuckers? Uh, Rorschach leaves silently. Um, and then we get this great, just like awesome, draw, awesomely drawn sequence of oh, yeah. uh, Rorschach going after Moloch, the formal, uh, former vil- uh, villain for Doc Manhattan. This so, is when like the shading and lighting of the panels really takes off from this point on. It's really just unbelievably yeah. Now, the Moloch thing is interesting also because it introduces supervillains who are teased, not, I was about to say weirdly enough, but appropriately enough during uh, the rape assault sequence. That's the time where you get to see their trophy room. You get to see a lens that Moloch set up before, which paints him as sort of this goofy 60s style villain, uh, sort of very like yeah. Adam West Batman-y style villain, yeah. which obviously he's not here at the end. Uh, we also see a, it's called Killer Ape or Gorilla Man or something like that. There's some sort of mask in the trophy room as well, which I think emphasizes the animalistic nature of what Eddie Blake is doing to uh, Sally at that moment. Um, but we never really see any supervillain action. We, to the point of the superheroics, we haven't really had them established other than that glimpse. Here we finally get to see Moloch, and he is a cancer-ridden husk of himself. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. uh, sad. You wonder how this man could have ever threatened Dr. Manhattan, who is like all-powerful, basically. He tells this story of the comedian coming to visit him and basically saying, the world's fucked. Uh, after he's realized sort of the plot that we find out, we ourselves, the reader, find out later. Um, yeah, he just talks a- about he talks about the island a little bit. He talks about some writers and other things, I believe. Yeah, uh, throughout the scene, which teases again. If you're reading it through the second time, you know that Vite is setting up this big story and teasing and building this thing. Um, but it's very unclear exactly what the comedian is talking about at this point uh, to anybody who hasn't read Watchmen. Yeah. And he, he sets up Janie Slater, who is uh, Dr. Manhattan's first wife, I yeah. believe, uh, which we learn about later on in the series. And it's just such a haunting scene because you are seeing it through the eyes of this ruined villain. And it just sets up all this tension that we have no idea, this conspiracy that really put uh, put the comedian to his death. And it really feeds into Rorschach's uh, just panic and uh, his actual believing he's a conspiracy theorist and this is proving to be true. Well, to the point, I may have the time period a little bit wrong, but uh, if the comedian is a reflection of America in a very similar way to uh, Captain America is over in Marvel Comics, um, this is the point in the late 70s, early 80s or so when America started to realize, oh wait, we've fucked everything up. Yeah. Like, American I mean, came, disillusionment. Exactly. I mean, it certainly it. came earlier than that, but if whether it's hitting the comedian late or not, that's what's going on there, is he's realizing there's all of these things going on behind the scenes that he is not the big man about. Like, he is not the guy in charge. He's not the most important thing in the story. Everything else is happening around him. And I think, ultimately, that's why he dies, right? Because yeah. he has reached the end of his usefulness. His time is literally over. Yeah, he's done too many horrible things to continue on. Yeah, he he's being replaced earlier. by this new world order that uh, we come to find out later is Ozymandias' uh, sort of stake. Yeah. Uh, Who among us has not been replaced by a squid? Yeah, <laughs> indeed. I also think this the death of the comedian is sort of where the fiction starts. I think the comedian is most re- it's meant to represent what America actually did, and then this is sort of the flight of fancy out of it, where we realize the consequences or, or a take on what could happen to yeah. bring the world back together. And we get the famous uh, Pagliacci joke at the end, which great is... Great joke. Great. Actually very funny. Super funny. After the comedian not being funny for an issue, funny joke. Hilarious. Yeah, huh? 
Uh, and the last image we hear we see here is Rorschach grabbing a flower off of Eddie's grave and taking it with him. Which is cool because we see earlier in this issue, everybody's putting things into the grave, right? They're putting the body down. They're throwing the pins in. Rorschach comes and takes something. That's great, yeah, because yeah. everyone's putting away their memories. They're yeah. like, oh, I, this guy who did bad things, I don't yeah. want to think about this anymore. He's like, I'm going to take this clue with yeah. me on into the rest of the mystery. Yeah, and to what we were talking about with the first issue as well, though, uh, that's uh, Rorschach kind of going off in the wrong direction, right? Like... He is holding on to this comedian mystery that is part of it, but he doesn't know what it is quite yeah. yet. Uh, and, and again, the, the shading and the paneling, like from panel to panel, like completely different time periods flow so nicely. But also there was panel where it was like the same, like it was the same uh, part of the newspaper, and then the next panel is just a bigger part. Like, so cool. Now, Very cool. one thing that I did want to point out, actually, because I was looking at both of your guys' copies, uh, you have a paperback print copy, Pete, and you're looking at it on your computer. The coloring is different on both of them. Yeah. Uh, so in Pete's, I think it's a little bit closer because the roses, I believe, are the same red as the blood on the comedian yeah. uh, in the first issue. So when Rorschach is walking through the blood at the beginning, at the end of the second issue, he's pulling it back out again. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's interesting. I, I hope... I assume there's an absolute addition out there somewhere with the correct colors, but it certainly affects the experience quite a bit. Guys, thank you so much for listening to Watchmen Watch. We will be back with the third issue pretty soon. Very you can soon. check out all the ways to subscribe at comicbookclublive.com. You can support this podcast and more. Patreon.com slash comicbookclub. Also, mention you can follow us a bunch of places at Watchmen Watch One on Twitter, also on Facebook and Instagram, Watchmen Watch Podcast. You can check them out there. We got some shirts. We got shirts, guys. Get those shirts Club. on comicbookclub.threadless.com check it out there uh, and remember we taped this podcast 35 minutes ago oh Alan uh, just texted me and he said he'll definitely be here for the next episode oh that's great, great. That's, that's great, great. again my bad okay. Stone. I hope he had fun camping yeah he loves camping and he loves mysterious stones <laughs>